Please be aware in this episode that I'm trigger warning now for mentions of homophobia. There is some graphic discussion of some fictional murders that take place in the episodes that we are discussing. And also uh, one of the episodes does deal with the issue of incest. And that is briefly mentioned uh, as we go through the plot. Summer Murders, which is ostensibly like meant to be in like Somerset, which is where we are now. Yes. Um, that has a lot of seasons, and I'm sure there must have done at least one episode about witchcraft, which skated by when I was doing my procedural police episode. Um, because I don't really watch a lot of Summer Murders, even though I used to like it when I was younger. So we googled it, and there are four at least. There's at least four. There are four easily identifiable, definitely about actual witchcraft. Witches that come up when you Google it. So, um, <laughs> because they're like two hours long, um, we decided to unwisely mm-hmm. uh, watch two at once. Not at, not not like concurrently. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been bananas. But we watched one after the other, and then we're going to do two episodes in which we look at two episodes. Yeah, and then maybe we'll do like a the winner of each round. Yes, I've lost my mind and I'm not watching them again. (laughs) So without further ado, the two episodes of Midsummer Murders we will be discussing in this episode of Witch Fix, which is not Midsummer Murders, are uh, one called Straw Woman, which was Series 7, Episode 5, and one called The Magician's Nephew, which is Series 11, Episode 5. Apparently fifth episode of the season, good time for... So to start with, we'll talk about, uh, we'll sort of run through the plot of both mm-hmm. episodes pretty quickly and then just talk about which one we feel was the better one, because I definitely have a favourite. I don't know. I, I have a favourite in terms of interesting TV and a favourite in terms of accurate witchcraft stuff. Oh, intriguing. Yeah. We'll get there in a minute. So Straw Woman, which is season seven, episode four. It basically centres around a murder that happens really quick in the episode. Mm, it's in like, like first 20 seconds at least. Like, <laughs> it's definitely pretty quick. Um, and basically what's happened is they've renewed this tradition in the village, which is to burn a woman made of straw, not unlike a wicker man mm. of the movies of the same name, um, but it's sort of smaller. And they set it on fire and they're like, oh, cool, ain't it lovely? And then you literally see like a terrified human eye of an awake person who is in it and, and hear some muffled screams yeah and... which is fucking dark yeah considering midsummer murders is usually like oh it's you and then you get like a sort of Again. point of view shot and then a hole or something yeah. bonks them on the head and then they get found later by they, a cleaner they do love getting clubbed on the head with stuff in they do they love clubbing yeah. um but they manage to like put the fire out and hose away all the evidence and the fire has managed to consume an entire human body in not a long time at all. Mm. And they just find, like, some bones. Which is pretty impressive, because usually in things like CSI, even when someone sets a car on fire with a dead body in it, that what they get out kind of looks like a hog roast. Yeah. Um, it, it does take a long time to, like, fully burn something down to the bone. Yeah, and, like, a lot of, like, 
of really high temperatures, a lot of fuel. Like yeah. that's why cremation is something you have to do like industrially. Yeah, it's it's not something it's, that you can really do yeah. at home as a fun project. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, Timmy's at home cremation kit. Uh, now I don't know if we need to explain a little bit about how Midsummer Murders usually works, but um, um, I guess in case people haven't watched it, okay. it's, it's not a like a huge part of everyone's upbringing if you're True. not in the UK. Um, so Midsummer Murders, in case you don't know, are basically little mini kind of soap opera murder stories where in every episode you're introduced to a small British village and a cast of absolute characters who live there, and they're all investigated by um, Detective Barnaby, who was then replaced by another Detective Barnaby, who was, I guess, related to the first one, because it's called Barnaby everywhere that isn't the UK. So they had to keep the main character called Barnaby. Which makes perfect sense. Which makes very great sense. And there's usually something like a cake competition, or a fate, or a bell ringing championship. That it or adds, like an like, art gallery opening, yes. or something. Um, that kind of, like, feeds into this whole like small rural British life and then a bunch of people get murdered mm -hmm. and then Barnaby has to work out who is doing it. And it, it's quite they're usually quite interesting stories. Yeah. I think. They uh I think the thing is that because they're aimed primarily at the white housewife or possibly what your nan watches on daytime TV yeah. market, uh they get kind of like miscategorized because people think it's all very like Oh my goodness, I was going to make a sponge cake and then someone bonked me on the head and killed me in a very clean way and who is the mystery? And a lot of the time they're actually like pretty gritty yeah. and like, like grim. They kind of get lumped in with the whole like Miss Marple mm. thing. Whereas I suppose on the sliding scale between Miss Marple and Law and Order SVU, they're sort of more closer, I guess, to SVU than to Miss Marple because it's yeah. got that very British setting, but at the same time there's a lot of murder, a lot of scandal, uh and as we shall see when we get into yes. our plot summaries. So the central conflict which is set up in this particular village, I can't remember the name of it, but Midsummer something, usually the name of the village. Um, basically, there's a manor house. The manor house owns a chapel, which used to belong to the church, but doesn't anymore. The manor house has been bought by, I'm going to call him a pawn baron. I think he is, yeah. General uh, lascivious celebrity of some kind. Yes, a pawn baron. Uh, and he owns the chapel. This is causing a lot of friction, obviously, with the local church. The vicar and the... What's the other... The, uh, the curate. The curate. Not the rector. That no. would have been too funny. Of the local church are gay in a relationship with each other, which has upset some of the... Traditionalist members. Oh, I was going to say pricks. But okay, okay, that too. <laughs> um, in the village, and they don't really like him being their vicar. And then it turns out that the curate is the one who was burnt in the straw woman right at the start. So things start to heat up pretty hey. quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Finger guns can't really be communicated over audio. But finger, finger guns. guns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so his boyfriend, who is the, um, the vicar, vicar, I guess, yeah. um, he is praying at the altar and he's very obviously upset because, you know, lover boyfriend yes. husband it's not also he comes across as quite an anxious person anyway oh, like he's very he's, squirrel. he's very nervous and on edge through the entire thing so yeah uh he's praying at the altar and seems really upset and then he bursts into flames through apparently supernatural means also important is that before he spontaneously combusts he spots a severed pig's head just on the altar of the church 
Yeah. So so things are kicking off big time. Mm. Like this is a, a pretty. Uh, it's not really a cold open. It's a warm no. open. It, it's quite an intense start. Toasty. It's it's like midsummer murders. Ooh, and then pigs head. Blam. Two dead. Pigs head. Two dead. Yeah. So we find a little bit of the backstory out about the village, and this seems to be the fact that the straw woman burning ceremony was a thing, but also that there was um, a group of women who were accused of witchcraft and killed because using herbal medicine they cured swine fever in like a local herd of swine. So now the pig head starts making a little bit more sense. Back in like the 1700s or something. Yeah, no, no. Yes. No, no shit show. No, well, it was I last mean, week. I've, I thought it was important to specify this <laughs> is like an old thing that they discover. And the locals start to blame the local primary school teacher, Miss Frances, because it was her idea to revive the straw woman ceremony, and she has been teaching the little kiddlywinks about the witches uh, as a sort of way to teach them about prejudice, because only white people live in this village. It's a bit of a thing. It is a little bit of a thing. Notable things are that the Corn Baron's bedroom has a little leopard print in it, some palm tree sort of lamps, and a heart-shaped bed that is big enough for half of Danny DeVito and no one else. <laughs> uh, so basically all ITV could ITV could do to evoke the image of a den of sin. For uh, daytime TV hours. <laughs> it looks like a room I would build on The Sims. Yes. So yeah, that, that's weird. Now, the middle of this episode is kind of a blighted mess. Yeah, there's a lot. It, it's one of those weird things where a lot of stuff is happening, and yet at the same time, nothing is happening. For every little fucking Yeah. Year. But basically, um, there's some stuff going on. We're introduced to Dr. Cole and Mrs. Hopkins, who are the chief amongst the um, we-don't-like-gay-people crowd. Mm. So fuck them, to be honest. Um, and we also meet Matt, who is a young photographer, who is Dr. Cole's son. And we're introduced to the teenage, ostensibly, daughter of the porn baron, his private nurse, and a woman in the village who does herbal healing. And seems to do herbal healing for pretty much everyone, even though there are a lot of people going, oh no, that's which is that's poison, that is, meh. Yeah, and her name is Kate Malthus, uh, which sounds like a witchy name, so I instantly just thought, mm. well, she's a witch. Uh, but it turns out, and this is one of the things I didn't like so much about this episode, that there are no like confirmed modern witches. It mostly focuses on like the witch hunt. Yeah, no one uses the word witch to define themselves yes. at any point. The word is thrown around a lot, but the, there's little sort of definite confirmation. So after all this sort of stuff and people in the community being annoyed at the teacher, and the teenage daughter of the porn baron sends naked pictures of herself, which were taken by the doctor's son, to the doctor, which is a pretty yeah. ballsy move. Although these are naked pictures that you could maybe show an A-level art show. Yeah, yeah they, they were they were very tasteful. They were nudes. really tasteful. They were. You like, could hang those in a lounge. Yeah, I wouldn't even call them lewds. They were just like lewds. Yeah, that's the thing. You get nudes and lewds. I don't know what kind of life you're living, but I'm a bit. <laughs> I'm none of those. Sitting things. here in my black shawl, talking about witchcraft. Anywho, so the doctor understandably gets a little bit like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have these because, I mean, that's a crime to have. Um, oh no, actually, she's 19. So it's she's not a 19. crime, it's just unwise. I mean, she's supposed to be 19 and the actress playing her is at, like, at least 27. So. Wow. So wisely, I guess, he takes them to the church to burn them in what looks like the collection plate. Questionable decision. Not where I would choose to dispose of my illegal pornography. He's also not the only person who burns something in a church yeah, during this episode. We'll get to that when the section in my notes, it says, stop burning things in the church. I know, I know we're going to get to that, but I just want to point out yes. that, like, Look, even it's, at... It's right there. Yes. 
But even at this point, I was like, maybe this is not the place you do that. Apparently it is like the place where all the locals do this. So he sits by those in the church and then he bursts into flames spontaneously yep. because apparently the church is just the place where everyone decides to do that. But not before um, his fiance, who is the grumpy woman. Hopkins. Hopkins, thank you. Uh, finds him with the photos and gets all persnickety about it. But he explains them away as being things that he has confiscated from his son. Yes, which she decides to believe, I think, was yes. the way they played that scene. Um, it's also uh, probably of note to point out that Hopkins and Dr. Cole are involved, but are both, I think she's divorced and he is maybe widowed. widowed. So they want to get together. But anywho, so he gets like set on fire and taken to hospital because he's not actually dead, although he does die later. And the pathologist guy manages to pinpoint the source of the spontaneous combustion as phosphorus solution, which basically means like wet phosphorus and then when it dries out, it just explodes. Yeah, which, as they keep mentioning throughout the episode, is O-level chemistry. And then they say, oh, so anyone could do this. And then they say, anyone who took the O-level... And then they make a point that if you took GCSE chemistry, you probably didn't get to do that because uh, you'd be too young and too, you know, valuable by way of health and safety. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of stuff happening to Matt. He kind of woke up covered in blood in the woods because someone had put a pig's head on him while he was asleep and then took a picture of it. So he's steadily losing his marbles, although nothing ever really comes of that either. Oh, although um, we do find out that uh, the herbalist ladies' pills are trading hands quite a lot at this point. Yes, everyone seems to have them in their houses, and also someone has given some to Barnaby's like uh, detective sergeant guy, Scott. So there's there's a suggestion that they're getting traded around yes, quite, a lot. quite a bit. Oh, at this point we also noticed that the teacher has a frog candle holder in her house and lots of black cat decor, so I started to think maybe she was a witch, although it turns out she is not. And she also... Really loved grey jumpers. Yeah, a big so, huggy bunch. Grey clothing generally. And like, a poncho. Her, her main outfit for the episode was a grey turtleneck jumper, a grey skirt, and grey boots. Yes, she was the grey lady. Stylish. Um, and she keeps rubbing her tummy, which we weren't sure if it was like a plot point that maybe she was being poisoned slowly by someone, or if maybe she was meant to be pregnant, or if it was just a nervous tick of the actress. But I'm going to go with she that. Just had Poor fitting spanks on or something. Yeah, maybe like... she was just really uncomfortable. Yeah. Maybe she was allergic to war, which would have been unfortunate. At this point, Hopkins goes to the church and is all like, oh no, my boyfriend. So she takes his picture out of her locket and burns that in the church because that's the appropriate place to do that. The teacher finds then some records which were in the church. Um, people have been looking at these records to try and work out who, in fact, owns this fucking chapel that's under dispute. Uh, and then she sends like a phone message. She records a phone message. Yes. For Detective Sergeant Scott saying, I know who did it, meet me at the church. And then she goes to the church and he doesn't. She gets plonked on the head and set on fire, which is all very sad. And then she dies. Which also, uh, they, Scott and Barnaby turn up just in time to watch her burst into flames. Yeah. And Scott had a little bit of a thing for her and they had boned. So I guess he felt sad. Yeah. There's also a very interesting choice of going into a slow motion action <laughs> footage sequence as they try and put out the flames. But because the flames move so quickly, they had to put it in slow motion. So it looks like everyone's rushing to do very little. Yeah. Also, Barnaby picks up a fire extinguisher, looks at it, kind of struggles for 0.10 of a second, even in slow motion, and then just throws it away. And then they start trying to put her out with curtains. So he clearly yeah. needs to redo his fire training. 
Um, then they check the parish records, which the teacher left opened in her living room, and find that Catherine Malpas is the name of one of the witches executed, and that obviously Kate Malpas is her relative of some description. Of some description. So the suspicion falls on her. And then we actually do find out who the killer is, mm. which we will not reveal because you might want to go and watch this yeah. yourself. But let's just say that I was disappointed. Yeah, I mean, it. It's so one of the issues with Midsummer Murders as part of the like formula of it is you'll have the two actors you recognise from something, who are usually either victims or the murderer. Yes. Um, but then you also tend to get a thing of like once you've seen a couple of episodes, you'll go hmm. That person we were introduced to who got given a name doesn't seem to have done very much at the moment. Yeah. Usually right. there's like characters who have secrets that come out in the mm. course of the investigation. Make them seem guilty, but don't necessarily mean that they are the killer. But the actual killer wasn't one of those people. Yeah. So it was kind of clear that something was up it's the, with them. <laughs> there's a lot of red herrings get thrown around and you tend Slapped. to just sort of be like, hmm. Fish. I mean, everyone else has been given a suspicion and an alibi, and you've just turned up, said your name, and then left again, which makes you suspicious by default. Yes. Also, you have a mad case of the crazy eye. Yeah, that too. Um, so that one didn't really have any actual witches in it. It was more about um, kind of the link between like, pagan traditions, tensions with the church, and witch hunts, mm. which are still interesting things that they kind of explored a bit yes and also like there did seem to be a thing of gingerly tiptoed around an issue so it's there if you want to read into it and it's not there if you don't want to read into it. yes but there seemed to be an element of like what when we accept women and femme people in positions of power and when they're overstepping there, there was an element of that in there. the the herbalist the teacher um they're sort of instantly marked as targets as soon as people yeah. start throwing around the word witch. Um, whereas like the the doctor and the, the porn baron and so on are like, almost kind of above reproach, even though people know they're doing weird things. Yeah, it's... they have they have positions of power and authority. And so they are mm. like slightly on top. So it it's sort of it fed into the themes of witchcraft and tradition. But it, it wasn't sort of overtly witchy in terms of the characters or any of the like scenes in uh, which brings us to uh, season eleven, episode five, the magician's nephew. The magician's nephew. The magician's nephew. Ooh. I'd forgotten that that was the name of it. <laughs> so, like thinking about that, that makes the events of it far more obvious. Yes, <laughs> let's get into that. Yeah, because literally, I went into it like, well, it's got to be something to do with the nephew, <laughs> and it was. It was, <laughs> but not in the way that you'd think. Ooh. Anyway, so in the opening scene, we hear a lot of, like, if there was a fruit machine for pagan references in the opening scene, yeah. it would have been going ding, 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 cherries everywhere, yeah. just playing out all over the floor. Because we've got cloaked figures, a fire, a pentagram, mention of Astaroth, the four elements, demons, daggers, runes, turning the page, and Thoth. And a bonfire that gets illuminated and go, oh, yeah, they, they throw fight. like a handful of powder into it and it goes woof. It goes woof. Yes. Anyway, um, so it seems that what we are witnessing is the initiation ceremony of this young blonde woman. Who we do not get given a name for straight away. For a frustratingly long time. Yes. <laughs> um, and they are obviously doing the initiation ritual, yes. which is quite quite interesting, piqued my interest yeah. quite, uh, quite a lot. And then the next kind of scene, series of scenes that we get are a guy with a ponytail and a suede jacket, so you know he's an academic. Mm -hmm. 
sort of debunking magic in a TV program, which is being watched angrily by the high priest of the, I'm going to call it a coven, yeah, uh, called Ernest, which isn't a very witchy name. But the guy who is doing the debunking is called Aloysius Wilmington, which is a very witchy yes, name. Yes, which is an interesting little turnaround there. Yes. But basically what he says is that he was originally involved in this coven. He invented the Thoth ritual, but he invented it as kind of like a gag. Sort of like, I guess, you know, in the invention of Scientology, it was like, you could invent a religion and make a bunch of money. Yeah, it, it seems like he he was doing it as a social experiment to excuse the fact that in the 70s he wanted to get really drunk and worship some demons. Which is fair. Which is fair. Um, but then he compares them to the SS in terms of like slavish devotion, sort of this mythical idea, which is taking it really far. Yeah, the idea is like, if you get some gullible idiots to together, believe they'll believe something. If you get them to fervently believe something, then they can turn into a dangerous group. Yes. Which, I mean... Yes, I, like there, there's elements of it's a problematic generalization. It is. Um, and the one thing that I did like is that his book is called Mumbo Jumbo and Me. Uh, we learn a lot of information very quickly about this guy, aside from the fact that his name is Aloysius Wilmington. Mm. He also is a, a keen churchgoer now, and there is a grave in the graveyard, unsurprisingly. I don't know why I put it like that. Um, which has his last name on it, and um, we thought it was his wife. So that's cool to know. He also lives in a ginormous house. Ginormous! Uh, and his nephew appears to be living with him. Yes, his nephew is called Simon. Mm. Uh, everything appears to be taking place at Halloween, because uh, poor Detective Barnaby is being roped into a Halloween party. His <laughs> wife is very excited about Halloween. Yeah, I, I don't like his wife in any episode that she's in. It's weird because, like, at first I was like, oh, Joyce, you're into Halloween. That'll be awesome. And then she somehow managed to make even that annoying. Like, I'm very into Halloween. Yeah, well, that was to. a lot. But this was, like, you know, parish church hall. Yeah. Halloween. Look, I made a spider out of jelly and it's got hula hoops for eyes. And nine legs. Yeah, fuck off, Joyce. No one wants to treat you a nine-legged <laughs> spider. Or alternatively, your eight-legged spider with a massive dong. <laughs> Anywho, it does appear to be Halloween. Uh, we then have to kind of navigate a lot of interpersonal relationships, which are very confusing, mm. and which I will try to keep simple for you guys because we were confused and I was yeah. actually writing it down. Um, so we get introduced to a character called Isolde, although people kind of veer between calling her Isolde and Isolde. And some just call her Izzy, which I feel is the coward's way out. Yeah. Uh, Isolde, or is Isolde, I'm going to stick with Isolde, is one of the witches and is Ernest's daughter. She is also getting it on with Simon, who is the nephew of the debunking fella, Aloysius Wilmington. Uh, so both of them are interested in finding a rare book, which may or may not be hidden in the extensive library of Aloysius Wilmington. And it is apparently the Book of Thoth, and Izzy is after it because she wants the power that it will bring to her as a witch. And Simon is after it because he was addicted to cocaine and he needs it to pay off some debts. To the bookshop owner, who is called Hugo, because we needed an extra person involved in this. Yes, there's a lot of people involved in this. Uh, we also meet his old brother Tristan, who seems to be a very conventional solicitor type man, and he knows Barnaby because they've just done a case against each other in court. Compared to the other one, which was like opening scene murder, this is like here's 15 minutes of interpersonal stuff, and eventually there'll be a murder. Yep. Eventually, very eventually. Um, we also find out that uh, Tristan is old and Ernest's last name is Belial. You might remember from my review of the 
coven. Um, there was a teacher in that called Miss Belial, and I'm assuming that both sets of characters were meant to be named after the demon Belial. And we finally get to some fucking murders. Yay! Yay! We see someone smearing something that looks like Vaseline on the blades of an Iron Maiden uh, for a children's magic show. <laughs> Um, and then it's just a case of waiting for someone to go in there yeah. and get Panini pressed. It's, it's Chekhov's cousin. It's Chekhov's Iron Maiden. <laughs> uh, so unfortunately, a lady called Jean Wildacre goes in there and she gets a little bit stabbed, but only in the sense that like you would stab someone with a toothpick. It's it's not a big deal. It breaks the skin, but that like yeah, like a puncture wound. shouldn't have killed her. Yes, unfortunately, the Vaseline like stuff was frog goo. Uh, which is very, very poisonous mm. from special frogs, not just from like yes. normal frogs. The the poison dart, poison arrow frogs that you get in Ecuador. Yes, in Ecuador, which we find out in yes. the sentence. Uh, <laughs> so when they open the Iron Maiden, Shokara, she is dead. And a room full of children very narrowly avoid being hideously traumatised for life. Our good old friend Elonesis Elonius. Elonius? Polonius. Aloysius Aloysius, there we go. He uh, is... was doing the magic. Well, no, he wasn't actually the magician. It was well, his, like, magic It was his cupboard, cupboard. yes. So it was his cupboard. He's very upset about the whole yes. thing. And inside the cupboard, once they, you know, remove the body and stuff, they find a sword hilt, which matches uh, ritual daggers that are sold by Ernest and his family as their business. So naturally, Aloysius Wilmington is very quick to point the finger at these so-called practitioners of dark arts, and then he lends Barnaby a copy of his book, Mumbo Jumbo. And Barnaby finds it very amusing. He does. And the dagger hilt relates to the initiation at the beginning, because there they used four weapons in the initiation, a sword, an arrow, an axe, and a dagger. And it's mentioned in an earlier scene that the ones the coven users have gone missing. So it's pretty clear where one of those is yeah. ended up. And does hint at more murders to come, which is great, because... At this point, we were only like what half an hour yeah. in, and only one person was dead. It's a little low body count for Midsummer. Like normally, normally there's at least three gone by now. Yeah, we quickly find out who the next victim is going to be because Hugo the bookseller re- receives the arrow in the post. Yes, which is concerning, especially <coughs> when we find out that uh, Joyce, who got murdered in the cabinet, uh, Jean. Jean, even, yes. Not How Joyce. dare you disrespect the dead? <laughs> Joyce is part of his wife. <laughs> There's too many of them. <laughs> There's too many middle aged white people. Oh, I God, I wish Joyce had been all of them. Do you think if they killed Joyce off, there'd be complaints? I mean, there would be now because I guess she's not in it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that would be unfortunate. No, uh, Jean, who got murdered in the cabinet, um, was on to Hugo and Simon's little book stealing and selling racket. Yes. And uh, said to Hugo that she knew what they were up to right before she was murdered. So Hugo is possibly getting a little bit skittish right about now because, uh, you know, he seems like prime suspect number one. Yes. Now, at this point, I realised that Isolde and Tristan were related. Not because that wasn't obvious from their names, but because the guy wasn't called Tristan until this point. He was referred to by his like last name. Yeah. So, you know, I, I... he was being talked to in a professional capacity. Yes. So. No one had turned around and gone, hey, Tristan. Yo. Yeah. Uh, We meet his mother. Uh, It's quite obvious it's the mother, although this will be presented as something that is a surprising fact later on. But she seems to be suffering from some sort of schizophrenia or 
hallucination similar similar disease because she has a home carer who is called christine and who was the woman being initiated at the beginning uh, and her home carer is there to look after her and she has good days and bad days but is mainly concerned about demons coming in through the windows to get her there's a lot of they i can see them where are they you can't see them and so on yes uh, that suggests she possibly knows that she's the only one who has these visions but it's quite unfortunate there's, there's a lot going on tristan is really upset he wants to care for his mom at home but is facing this sort of throbbing reality that she needs specialist care that he can provide for her so she'll have to go into a hospital or an institution and isolde is sort of on the other side of things she thinks that if she finds this magic book she can cure whatever's wrong with her mum. and christine just seems to be sort of stuck in the middle she's desperately in love with tristan which is very obvious it's very obvious it's also her one character trait yeah uh she she is like nice you get to see that she's very nice to the person she's a professional carer for which is something i, w- yeah. I wouldn't say she was like overly i wouldn't say she was like nice i would say that she is professional Yes. Her interest seems mostly to be interested. Yeah. But she does desperately want to find out what it is that sent his mum over the edge into this delusional fantasy world. And it's pretty obvious that that is probably connected with Tristan's dad and his interest in magic and demons. It's at this point that Hugo, the bookseller, gets murdered, which is good because he was chewing up the scenery yeah. something terrible. There, there are some real overactors in this episode. It's impressively terrifying. It is. <laughs> very strange he's murdered in a really clever way though because they've now clarified that this frog poison stuff you need like an open wound or a cut and if it gets in that you die within like a minute um so someone puts a trip wire in the dark alley next to his bookshop so when he staggers home drunk he falls onto some broken glass which has been liberally frog smeared and then he kind of starts to die in the bookshop and we see his old watching him through the window looking very pleased with herself so it's implied that she had something do with mm. this at this point the dead woman jean's husband uh turns up with some letters for barnaby in a biscuit tin because that's how we transport things and he basically says that lucy aloysius no wilmington aloysius wilmington that lucy wilmington was aloysius's sister but was very close friends with the dead lady jean and that this biscuit tin contains a lot of letters passed between the two of them so uh, he decided to give it to Barnaby as it might. And obviously Lucy is Simon's nephew because he is the magician's nephew. Yeah. That's how that works. Yes. All However. Right. <laughs> However. <laughs> da, da, da. Aloysius Wilmington then shares some of his like personal passion projects with Barnaby. Namely that he's interested in a guy called William Tyndall who translated the New Testament into English. And because the church didn't like that, he was burnt at the stake with his manuscript. And then we find out through Simon that he has found a letter amongst Aloysius's collection that suggests that there is some sort of rare document that was salvaged from a fire in the collection elsewhere. And it hidden. doesn't... Because it's so powerful. Because it's powerful and important. So he obviously wants to believe that this is the book of Thoth, and so does his old, but it's pretty obvious that it's going to be part of the series. Yeah. Again, this is treated like a surprise later, but it's wildly obvious yeah it is then revealed in a conversation between barnaby who's obviously read the secret letters and aloysius who knows what is in the letters because he did it that simon is not is not just lucy willington's child but he's also aloysius's child because he has sex with his sister and simon is that child in one of those freaky 70s that is not confirmed well he says he can't remember how it happened yeah so. how 
<laughs> I feel like the answer to how you forget that is it you were in some sort of altered yeah, state but, of consciousness at the time. But here's the thing, if you forget how it happened, that's something you could surmise, like, wait a minute, we were both of that orgy and I was off my yeah. face. But he just True. says he doesn't know how it happened and then the whole thing is dropped. It's like I'm pretty sure that's a crime. Yeah. Would like to know. There, there's a lot of questions raised. But um, that never gets dealt with because Barnaby never tells uh, Simon this and Aloysius is murdered. Not long after. Not long after this at all. Uh, we do find out, however, that from Aloysius that it was Mrs. Balliol's initiation that um, the people who were murdered so far held the weapons that they were murdered after being given. So Jean was holding the sword. No, Jean was holding the dagger. So. That's why the dagger hilt was left at her murder scene. And Hugo was holding the arrow. Again, we assumed, because there's an R in the centre of the compass diagram that Aloysius has drawn, that it's Rosemary, who was obviously the first Mrs. Balliol, because she's Tristan and his old mum. And we know this because they insist on referring to their parents as Ma and Pa, which is just weird. It's like, acceptable in Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, like, we're not in the correct geographic locale or class background for Ma and Pa here. This is not, like... It's super grating. Yeah. Uh, so we find that out. This will remain largely a mystery for Barnaby because he's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Aloysius decides to take a nighttime walk outside after hearing a strange noise, so he deserves everything he gets. He finds an axe on the floor, and as he bends over to pick it up, he is struck sharply from behind. Yeah, just from being whacked in the head. Like, it was quite a heavy thud. Not even with a frog. No, I think he got like properly like bosh, bosh. Yeah, there was like blood running down behind his ear. So. Unfortunately. It's at this point that Barnaby, I think, received a secret message in a packet of sausages. Yes. Banda, please elucidate. Um, so, for some reason, rather than going back to the police station, they've set up their like base of operations in the hall where the magic show happened. Which is a crime scene. Which is a crime scene. And I think it's something that they do in Midsummer Murders semi-regularly, whenever they can't get the police station set. Um, they will put the police in somewhere else. And I think it's supposed to imply that they're far enough away that they don't have the ability to go back and forth. But for whatever reason, they've set up in this uh, in this like village hall or wherever it is. And uh, is it Scott in this one? Ben. Ben in this one. He trade Ben Jones. Yeah. The uh the superintendents tend to Detective Sergeants even. Change a lot. They they do. They trade out detective sergeants a lot, and I think it's because they're like the young, vaguely attractive men, so they get needed in a lot of different TV shows. Very often. Get to the sausage! Anyway, so like Sergeant Ben show. is like just hanging out, having a cup of coffee outside. And then the butcher, who was one of the people who was at the magic show, but has not been deemed a person of interest because he's just a bit farcical and clearly not competent enough to handle poison frog murder, uh, pulls up in his uh, fancy van, the, the butcher's van, and goes, here's a present for Barnaby, and then hands Ben a packet of sausages in some wax paper. Then very quickly drives away. Ben pulls the best reaction face ever. I suggest you watch out for it. And then goes and hands Barnaby the sausages while Barnaby's trying to figure out this whole thing with the ritual and the people. The, yeah, you know, the crime. Yeah, the crime. 
Um, we don't see a message actually in the sausages. No. But then he drives off and then meets the butcher in a lay-by on like a B road and then says, I can't accept gifts. Also, what do you want to tell me? And it's like, well, was there a message in the sausages? Presumably there was. Like, what that's the, the only way we can figure that out. But also I will point out that if this is, you know, oh, I wrote a message on the inside of the wax paper so that he'd have a code. Um, and then I'm going to go meet him secretly on this B road in the middle of nowhere. In a van which bears my name. In a van which bears my name, which is the company van, which is bright red. <laughs> so stealthy. I mean, he's a butcher, not a spy. He is. Uh, and the reason we know he's incompetent is because his big secret is that he's been sneaking off to learn Gilbert and Sullivan songs with a neighbour. That's what they're calling it nowadays. So we learn from Barnaby's brilliant compass point drawing that uh, the one murder victim so far, like, well, potential victim so far, unidentified, their initial is E. So that's either Ernest or Estelle, who is the second Miss Belial. Isolde and Simon now have kind of a fight, I guess, because he has turned up the missing pages tucked into the cover of another book hidden under an end paper. And she says to him the very memorable line, I had to push you like a slug. Yep. I don't know who pushes slugs. I've I've pushed a slug or two in my time, and it's never like it doesn't make me do anything. I've stepped on them by accident and slid really far. <laughs> and they just sort of like curl up and fall over. Oh, they that's really sad. Yeah, they're not confrontational animals, funnily enough. Yeah, so that's kind of a weird thing for her to say. Uh, and then Isolde is like, "I kill people for this book. It's really important." And then he shows her that it's actually just part of the New Testament that's been translated, and she kind of flips her top a little yeah. bit. She's another one of the uh, scenery cures of which we spoke. Yes. So she gets arrested for confessing to murder, uh, although it is quickly apparent, and we kind of knew it would be, that she meant that she cast a spell to kill one of them. She hadn't actually, like... She cast a spell and someone happened to die. Yeah. Like, that. that's about as much means and motive as, as you could possibly put together with her as the suspect. <laughs> Yes. Then all the actual stuff about who the killer actually is gets revealed. And again, we are not going to tell you who that was, mm -hmm. except for the fact that they do end up um, dying, being kind of hoisted on their own frog. Yes. Uh, which is very funny. Yeah. Um, I felt bad for the frogs, honestly. They didn't want any part of this. Poor little froggies. And then at the end, the guy, Ernest, uh, whips off his cloak mid-ritual and chucks it on the fire, seeming to renounce magic or to be like giving up on the whole... Uh, coven that he has yes. created but we don't really get any more scenes with him it just kind of goes into the hijinks of barnaby at a halloween party yeah which he's not very amused at he's at very all. not um so yeah that's that's the magician that nephew. is the magician's nephew so which one was your favorite out of the two in terms of just watchability first off watchability i would actually say the magician's nephew is my favorite in terms of watchability same because, like, even though it is one of those ones where it's really not even predictable, but it's just one of those ones where the audience gets given information that the detectives don't because they think they're solving a different case to the one they're solving. Yeah. Um, which usually bothers me. This was handled in a very, like, interesting way because it was sort of, you ended up with all the right information, but they were starting from one end of the case and you were starting from the other and then you meet in the middle. And you sort find of out like the, the Lady and the Tramp where the case was the spaghetti. Yes, yes, exactly. That. That, that's a weird <laughs> metaphor. I kind of liked it because it was kind of batshit bonkers. Um, yeah. Especially the antics of Isolde, who was very much convinced that she was fucking queen mm. witch. 
And there's a point where she squares off with Christine and is like, you can't help my mother even though you're her carer. I'm the only one with the power to do that and mm. you haven't learned yet. Which is very on brand for assholes in the pagan community to me. Yeah. It felt very kind of condescending. And, um, it definitely did a good job of making the unlikable characters extremely unlikable. Like, like you, you definitely knew who you were supposed to be on board with and who you weren't. Pretty much the only person you were supposed to be on board with was Jean's husband. Because he was lovely. He was adorable. Was just trying to do the best because his kids were now motherless. And what, what he was trying to figure out what to do. Uh, I also kind of, I, I think I'd seen some people get angry about the Midsummer Murders episodes about witchcraft um, online when we were looking up like, mm. different things about the episodes. Here's the thing. As long as you're not expecting it to like accurately represent your religion, which I don't think any crime program is ever going to do because it needs to create drama mm. and friction. And the reason for most of these programs, including witchcraft, is to add, like, mystique and mystery to the plot. Also, like, there is a reason that, like, even in, uh, like we said, in the Straw Woman, no one self-identified as, like, a witch. Yeah. In The Magician's Nephew, technically, no one self-identified, like, apart from Isolde, who said she was a witch. Yeah. Uh, even the other members of this pagan cult thing, the coven, whatever it was... No one really said that they were like following a pagan kind of or Wiccan or like they it, didn't put a name on it. Yeah, it definitely seems like although they do say things like "do as you will" is the whole of the law, although they do invoke four mm. elements, but via the medium of different demons or like the different corners, um, it does seem like they've taken some pagan things and then just kind of made up the rest out of whole cloth. So I don't think it necessarily relates to any specific yeah. like I, I would be more angry if they said this is about this actual thing that really exists this specific religion and then failed to be accurate at that instead of going this is a new mini sect thing that is a separate thing so yeah i think in terms of watchability probably the magician's nephew would be more helpful. yeah i also like it in terms of its its relevance to more modern like it had contemporary practitioners of something in mm. it the other one I kind of liked because I had the idea that the herbalism woman was actually a witch because you do see her wandering around at night with her herb basket. Yes. Which just seems like a witchy thing. I, like, honestly, I would say in terms of depictions of witchcraft, I would actually say that I like, even though there are no, like, witches. self-defined witches, that's kind of why I like it because it suggests that, you know, you don't have to be the conventional thing yeah. you know there's no like you don't have to be flinging pentagrams everywhere and wearing black lace and doing yeah like things in the woods at night like, you you can but i kind of liked that there was a certain point with the straw woman where we were like i wonder if there is an actual witch who's doing this and we had three suspects there and three yeah, characters that could have been at least yeah. like you could have technically argued any of the Particularly any of the female characters, yeah. but also a lot of the male characters. You're like, maybe that's maybe actually yeah, a witch. Right. Yes. Um, and I will say, in terms of like deciding my overall favorite, I think I like both in terms of like that they both have witchy themes in, which is excellent and what I was looking for. But the actual once the crime was revealed, the motivations behind it, the the reveal of who the killer was, what their end goal was, I preferred the bitch's nephew hands down the straw woman because i felt like the ending of that one did kind of let it down i the the only issue with the straw woman was when you find out who the killer is and why they were doing all the killing it is kind of a bit one note yeah. like whereas with this one with the magician's nephew it was more about like 
that there's greater schemes of things. It's it's about grand ideals. Um, and in a certain sense, they are kind of ritual killing. Yes. Because the elements of that ritual are being used in a kind of, kind of not in terms of like a counter ritual, like consciously, mm. but the killer is kind of aping that original ritual. Whereas in the Straw Woman, yes, these there's pig's heads everywhere, which does get explained, and then there's like all the spontaneous combustion stuff. But a lot of that feels like it's just stuff they put in because it was cool, and then there wasn't really a credible reason for the um, actual killer to be doing it. Well, there, there's also a thing of like, there's some not to give too much away, but the title is a clue. Like, there's the literal straw womaning going on, which that won't give too much away if I don't say anything more about it right now. Well, you, you <laughs> better not. Then. Uh, so. That's uh, going to be our first episode on mm. Midsummer Murders, but we will now be watching the other two yes. and picking those head to head and then picking an overall favourite. I will say, if you're thinking of going and watching any of these episodes, they are pretty good compared to the American series that I looked at in my other episode because in those, it tends to be a lot of personal life bullshit about the existing characters in the series. So you might not know mm. who they are or why certain parts of the episode are going the way they are. Midsummer Murders doesn't really have that. Although you do see Barnaby with his wife, the fact that he's married is just kind of there. There's like no ongoing plot lines for Barnaby. As in a sort of domestic sitcom y bit. Yes, to break it's the just tension. like we're having a party and he's like, okay. Or, you know, they'll go to a fate and at the fate there will be a murder. But you can just watch individual episodes. You don't need to know any of the characters going in. You can watch them out of order. So, in terms of commitment, just think of this of the episodes as like feature length mystery films that have no connection to each other and uh, you can then enjoy them. But for now, please remember to subscribe to either the channel or the podcast wherever you are listening to us right now and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye!